Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Coming up on this week's show, all the news about La Liga coming to ESPN. We have the details about the championship playoffs. MLS gets a boost from a big TV ratings weekend. Our heads up about the final day of the Premier League season. And your feedback in the listener mailbag segment. I'm Christopher Harris, a.k.a. The Gaffer, joined alongside co-host Kartik Krishnar. You're listening to the World Soccer Talk podcast and uh, every week we talk about uh, what hardcore soccer fans want to hear about, which is a lot of the TV news, streaming news, uh, our favorite commentators, our favorite analysts, uh, really, really kind of uh, talking about our enjoyment of the game. Sometimes we're not happy. Sometimes we're well. We're always honest, but sometimes we're, we're disappointed with the coverage. Other times we're uh, just wowed by it. And I, and I guess the wow part of this, Kartik, let's start right off the bat. Right, um, this is a story that both you and I have been working on pretty closely, co- talking to our contacts since December of 2020. And that is the story about La Liga. And it's a, it's been a story that we've discussed on this podcast previously in terms of just the, the trials and tribulations of this league that was, which is still one of the best leagues in the world. But uh, unfortunately, due to distribution and carriage uh, problems that being sports have encountered, uh, which a lot of that can be resulted from, from being sports going trying to go against comcast and going against direct tv uh fighting for uh distribution and that's really coming back to hurt them and and that's where we're at uh kartik uh with this story and the news that la liga in a massive deal this is probably the biggest deal of the year thus far is coming home to espn what was your first reaction when uh the news uh, although while we're recording this, it's, it's still before it's officially announced. But uh, both you and I, and, and now I think the whole soccer world knows that uh, it's happening. What was your first reaction? Yeah, that's tough to gauge because um, I think there've been because of our reporting and because you and I have, have been reporting on this story, uh, we've actually known for some time it was inevitable. So I don't know what my first reaction was. What I will say is, and I, and I hate to be a broken record, some of you might be new listeners to the podcast, so you haven't heard this. Uh, 
But I have said, I don't know, maybe every fourth episode for the last three years, La Liga has to get off BN because you are in a position where the Premier League is, is the uh, undisputed top dog among European leagues in, uh, in the United States. But La Liga, which I think historically has been second, has now been superseded in many ways by Serie A and by Bundesliga just by the virtue of them being on mainstream, what we would consider mainstream carriers. In the Bundesliga's case, uh, Fox and then ESPN, and now in the case of Serie A, ESPN moving to CBS. So, and I, I think there are a lot of newer fans of the sport, or even old line fans of the sport whose preferences might change, that have not watched La Liga teams play in league action in many, many years. They see them when they're in Europa League on CBS. They see them when they're on Champions League on CBS. But uh, and they see them when they play American teams in friendlies over the summer. But that's that's um, that's about it. So I think this is a strategic move for La Liga that gets them back in the shop window in the United States. We know fandom has changed a lot in this country the last few years, Chris. We've covered it. We've experienced it. There are so many people that if I talk about the Premier League in 2015 or 2010, they don't know what I'm talking about or even talk about international tournaments from back then. So there's a whole segment of fans that have never been exposed properly to La Liga. And at one point in time, La Liga was getting its games on ESPN when uh, Bundesliga was stuck on Goal TV and uh, Serie A was on Goal TV also at the time. So uh, there's been a change in in where uh, kind of which leagues are getting priority based on their rights holders in the country. and getting the bandwidth with the American audience. So I think that this is uh, uh, incredible news for La Liga, huge news, uh, much needed news. In terms of BN, uh, maybe we'll get into that later, because obviously this is going to create a major pivot that they're going to have to make in order to stay relevant to the soccer fans. My first reaction was hallelujah. This this has finally happened. Because just like you, Kartik, I feel in many ways that the average soccer fan in the United States has been shortchanged. They've been shortchanged because many of them have not had the accessibility to watch a lot of these teams um, play play in the league. And and while your favorite one one of your favorite leagues, which I know uh, is, and I'm sure a lot of the listeners know, one of your favorite leagues is the Bundesliga. One of my favorite leagues is La Liga, and I, for many years I've enjoyed watching. I mean Sevilla, Villarreal, of course. I mean Real Madrid and Barcelona, but I mean so many stories, so many wonderful teams, and such a great brand of football in terms of very technical. Um, each of the stadiums has a different charm about them, a history, a very rich history in many ways. But a lot of viewers in the United States have missed that other than, like you said, Champions League, Europa League, where we would see these teams uh, to a much greater mainstream audience. And uh, it's it's perfect timing. I think this is perfect timing for La Liga Um I'm sure La Liga would have liked to have this to have happened sooner, but imagine the possibilities. El Clasico on ABC. I mean, has La Liga ever been on available on over-the-air television for a live El Clasico? No, it's been on BN Sports, BN Sports en Español. Uh, prior to that, it would have been what Gold TV, right? I mean, and and prior to that. Um, Fox Sports World. Fox Sports World, many, anyway, over a decade ago. So so this is an opportunity for La Liga to put their name on the map, to really show how good of a league this is, 
and to increase awareness of that league. And at the same time, I think for ESPN, this is a massive coup, Kartik. This, this is if if you thought that uh, ESPN Plus was great with uh, the Bundesliga and MLS and uh, the USL and International Champions Cup and and those uh, leagues and tournaments. This is a major coup to get La Liga uh, on ESPN and ESPN Plus because it's one of those things that the contract between BN Sports and La Liga was scheduled to run all the way through to 2024. So I have no idea how ESPN managed to do this, but ESPN uh, meet, meeting with La Liga and BN Sports uh, were able to figure out a way to make this work. So uh, I don't know what the, what the numbers were, but um, in terms of what it, what, what it took to convince BN Sports to let go of this one. But some of the numbers I am hearing, which we don't get into numbers that much on this podcast, that's more of a, a sports business daily, kind of more of the, the, the sports business publications. But some of the numbers that have been thrown out there for this deal are rumored to be $175 million a year for eight years. Now, put that into uh, comparison with the Bundesliga deal on ESPN, which is roughly $30 million a year for six years. Serie A's new CBS deal, uh, which is $70 million a year for three years. And the Champions League and Europa League uh, combined, which is CBS and Univision combined. That one is $140 million a year. So $175 million a year, uh, if true, for eight years that's a, an enormous amount of, amount of money. We know that ESPN, their goal for 2021 is to double the number of subscribers to ESPN+. Plus. This goes a long way to making that happen. Kartik, what are the implications of this? What does this mean for CBS? What does this mean for um, NBC in terms of their interest in uh, rights for the rest of this year? I guess... The be in sports part of it, we'll probably save for another podcast. We'll maybe go go into de- uh, more depth next week. But what is this deal for La Liga and ESPN? What does that mean now for CBS and uh, and NBC, in your opinion? Uh, CBS has acquired... Um, so I guess CBS's play might be they have to go after the Premier League. I think Serie A really helps them. But right now, now you have the, the, the balance maybe tipped back towards ESPN in that battle. So if you look at um, the profile of ESPN versus CBS in terms of what they had acquired, I had actually said, and I know this got a lot of uh, pushback because people love ESPN. I mean, there seems to be more ESPN fans than fans of CBS or NBC. Um that with the acquisition of the two South American leagues they had and CONCACAF uh, properties, which put them in the door in, in North America, along with Serie A, having NWSL, when we talk about the television ratings later, we'll talk about how, how well that did again this weekend for CBS over the air. And having Champions League, they were ahead of ESPN in terms of their overall profile. They have something for fans of Europe. They have something for fans of South America. They have something for fans of North America. They have a lot for women's fans as well. Um, now ESPN is tipping the scales back with La Liga, right? Because they've got the Bundesliga, they got La Liga, they have the Eredivisie, they have 
lot of U.S. properties, uh, MLS, USL. They have national team games on both the men's and women's sides for the U.S., maybe a little lighter on the South America to compete with CBS, but they offset that with maybe more uh, in terms of North America. So I think it tips the scales, the balance a little bit back towards ESPN. If we're looking for overall profiles to drive subscriptions, CBS now goes after the Premier League, and I don't think ESPN has the bandwidth for the Premier League, quite frankly. They have the money, uh, especially with all these recent – well, maybe they don't have the money with all the – No, they have it. Deals and they have it. They have it. They okay. have it. Because they're cutting Disney. personalities, right? They're effectively capping um, the, this, the salaries of writers and, and, and on-air personalities. But um, I don't think they have the, the bandwidth for the Premier League. And I don't think it would be a good thing for the Premier League to be on ESPN. We can get into that another time. Yeah. I think, uh, well, actually, the, the, let's get to that now, though, too. I mean, because that's a very good point. I mean, you look at a typical weekend of Saturday and Sunday games, and uh, you've got the Bundesliga games mostly in the morning, early morning. Um, yes, you have La Liga games throughout the day, but most of the big games are at the, the 3 o'clock kickoff on, on a Saturday or a Sunday. So you have most of the Real Madrid games, most of the Barcelona games, and Sevilla and Atleti. Most of those games usually are noon or, or 3 p.m. Uh, or, or you know, in the, around about those times. So if you're ESPN+, Plus, you have unlimited bandwidth. You can have as many games as you want to stream uh, if you can pay the price you mean, as a broadcaster to, to acquire those. But if you did have the Premier League, I mean, the Premier League to me is more of a a morning, Saturday morning. And yes, you have the games, that, kind of the big games at uh, Sunday at 11.30 and oftentimes Saturday at 12.30. Um, they could bring on the Premier League. I mean, I mean talk about okay. enormous amount of money. I mean, and, and that would be game over almost at that point. But they could do it if they really wanted to. But... I'm like you, Kartik. Now that they've gotten La Liga, I just don't think there's enough. You know, what I mean, you mean, how do they go ahead and and I, do an ESPN FC? Like ESPN FC every night would be like three hours of discussion and highlights and in an analysis. Well, unless unless the idea is for the Premier League, I'd say this is again is the Premier League focus on keeping their games on on linear television in the United States, or are they looking for the most money? Um, given all the the stuff about the ESL lately and all of that, who knows? Maybe that well, the money I, equation I th- has changed. I think with the European Super League and just how the clubs, the big six, have been pushing for big time money and are looking at all the money they've lost from COVID. You mean I'm sh- I'm sure the Premier League would talk about reach and distribution and television, but ultimately, it's whoever makes the the, the biggest bid, the highest bid. They're going because after NBC, they're going after the money. NBC and CBS are going to give them bigger reach and, and more availability because ESPN is not going to show the Premier League. You're not going to have nearly all the people who are complaining about Peacock now. You're going to have if if it goes to ESPN, you'll have maybe two games on television a weekend. Well, that's that's Maybe. a good that's a good that's a good point, Kartik. So you, you you take La Liga and say, okay, let's have El Clasico on ABC, and then let's go ahead and have the uh, the Madrid derby. You mean, and and let's have uh, Sevilla against Barcelona in these games, and, and sporadically you'll have some of these games on television. That bandwidth wise, there is limited then. Right, because it's oftentimes it's you mean mid afternoon or maybe lunchtime, Eastern time, and then if you do have the Premier League at the same time, then it's okay. How do you fit these games in? You've got so many so many games, unless you're going all streaming. 
they're going to have to go all streaming because they have, again, the the big consideration with ESPN, which is not as much of a consider it is not a consideration with NBC at all, and is not as much of a consideration with CBS as college sports. And I just do not see how ESPN can show games on Saturdays unless it's the very early morning kickoff, seven thirty a.m. Eastern time kickoff um, in the Premier League, and then. Uh, obviously, although I guess they got a game on ESPN last week, uh, a Dortmund Leipzig match, right? That was a a ten a nine thirty a.m. Eastern time kickoff. Yeah. So I guess maybe at certain points in the in the season they can do it. It's a rarity, though, no. yeah, right? It's a rarity. Where CBS, uh, their college, their their deck of college sports has been contracting and will further contract in future years, uh, and NBC basically has tier two. Um, college sports uh, with the exception of Notre Dame football which so, doesn't really get in the way of any Premier League broadcast. So by ESPN getting La Liga it sounds like we're in agreement that that gives the opportunity for either NBC or CBS to get the rights to the Premier League which will be coming up for bid in the next few weeks to the next couple of months. I mean it's that's good. now that the the UK rights which look, looks like it's going to be renewed by Sky Sports, BT Sports, and Amazon in the UK. Once that's done, then the focus goes to international rights. So it's likely that it's going to be a race between CBS and NBC, unless there's a an outside party. So whether it's an Apple TV or it's an Amazon or somebody of that sort. But it's most likely CBS and NBC. And with NBC being the incumbent, uh, having a track record... Uh, there's a, I mean, you would think that it would still stick with NBC in terms of those rights, but CBS is a, a new player, and if CBS got the Premier League, then that's a whole new new ball game for CBS and Paramount Plus. It 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 really is exciting times in these uh, soccer streaming wars because a lot of these games will probably end up on streaming, whether it's the Premier League, whether it's La Liga. You mean whether it's MLS, which those rights, those discussions will probably happen uh, in the summer uh, for t- to start seeing who else outside of Univision, ESPN and Fox are interested in rights. But it's just a fascinating time in the world of soccer. Well, one other quick point. Uh, keep in mind, in terms of the Premier League, and I, I know we've said this before, CBS has a lot of personalities that work for other network that are working Champions League for them, that work for other n- networks that are rights holders in various locations, particularly the UK, for the Premier League. So if they acquired the Premier League rights, they would probably have to acquire a whole, whole net new set of personalities. One exception is Clive Tilsley, who has... Um, not called many Premier League matches in his career, which I think was a shock to you and me, Chris, when we found that out, yep. um, because he had always done ITV, who uh, were supposed to, I don't want to get into it, were supposed to be the Premier League rights holders and uh, initially, but weren't, because he, he, he's been contracted to ITV. Um, he, he hasn't done many games, so they would have that, but they would have to build a whole new studio team, build out um, a whole a, a lot of other commentators other than uh, Clive Tilsley. So that, that may be more prohibitive in terms of them just flipping the switch. Because I know people have said to me privately, Chris, oh, well, if CBS got the Premier League, they already have the infrastructure uh, built because uh, they well, have this great studio in London. But they, they've got the world feed, people, though. They I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, you, are, you and I know how good the world feed is from the Premier League's point of view. And... Yeah. Um, I mean, NBC definitely mixed things up by having some of their own announcers in the stadiums. 
and I mean, most of the listeners, I think, love that 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 combination. It's gotten a little bit old and tired for me, at least. I mean, which I, I don't want to even go down that path. But I mean, it could be Wolfied. I mean, and and CBS, we know that they've. I mean, they've done the Champions League from London. I mean, the, the, from this uh, this past year, it's been all London based with a lot of uh, London based analysts and uh, experts. You mean the Guillaume Balagas, the Rafa Honigsteins, the Peter Schmeichels. I mean, some of these people would not be available on uh, weekend matches, but um, it's out there, Kartik. It's it's definitely a possibility. But let's let's move move forward because we've got a, a lot to get to. And again, listeners, uh, thank you for your patience. Thank you for your loyalty in terms of listening to this podcast. I think most of you who've been listening for several months now, if not longer, have been up to speed on La Liga, probably more so than the average soccer fan, and has had a huge heads up to what's happening. So for you, the listener, that that, that news about La Liga and the ESPN may not be so startling, but for the vast majority of soccer fans who are not uh, plugged into this podcast, they're probably absolutely shocked and and uh, horror or pleasure at uh, knowing that um, La Liga is moving to ESPN. I can't take this. Move on to recommendations of what to watch this weekend. Um, I'll, I'll let you go first. What's what's your uh, recommended match to watch this weekend? Yeah, so I, I've got, uh, uh, and I know you 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 want to discuss it also the the UEFA Women's Champions League final, uh, which is Chelsea against Barcelona. Emma Hayes also they won WSL this past week, held off Man City, uh, and uh, I give NBC SN a lot of credit. They showed a lot of the important matches. In, down the business end of the WSL season for both Chelsea and Manchester City, the two teams that were chasing uh, the pack. So that's one recommendation. The other would be Juve versus Inter. Juve are up against it. Uh, They're going to have to see out the rest of this season, which includes a Coppa Italia final against Atalanta, with uh, Pirlo as the manager. They are sitting fifth, uh, and now Antonio Conte returns uh, to Juventus, with the champions, with the Scudetto winners, uh, his inter team. So I think there's a lot of high drama there. That's noon on Saturday on ESPN Plus. Yeah, and the uh, the women's UEFA Champions League final. As of recording this podcast, um, we believe it's going to be on UEFA.tv, which is their free streaming service. So last time there was the uh, uh, women's Champions League final. Uh, CBS picked up the rights to that at the last minute, but uh, this time they're not going to. So it's most likely going to be on UEFA.tv, which is their free streaming service. Um, my, my pick for this weekend, I think, is actually going to be the championship playoff match between the, um, the first leg, uh, Bournemouth against Brentford. Uh, two teams that are really uh, fun to watch, high quality, good, good brand of football. Uh, and uh, I think it's going to be a close one. I mean, actually, I think Brentford's got a good chance. They were the, there last year in the uh, in the playoffs and ultimately didn't uh, they lost in the final. But I think that one for me, which is going to be on Monday live on ESPN Plus. So so check out WorldSoccerTalk.com, uh, either the website uh, or the Soccer TV schedules app on Android or Apple to get the uh, the TV listings and, well, actually streaming listings, right? ESPN Plus and then the kickoff time on that. 
Kartik, uh, real quickly on this one, because we've spent a lot of time on La Liga, which is you know, the biggest news of the week. But um, in terms of the... Um, actually, I'll, I'll go through this real fast. The TV streaming news. So, like I said, I mentioned uh, Brentford and Bournemouth uh, in the championship playoffs. Uh, the two other teams of interest are Barnsley and Swansea City. They make up the, uh, the four teams... Uh, uh, in the playoffs, all games will be live on ESPN Plus, and then after the two-leg series has ended, the final will be played on Saturday, May 29th at 10 a.m. Eastern Time. I think most listeners, especially if you're American, probably are going to be going for Barnsley uh, with Daryl DK. Um, against Swansea and uh, best of luck to Barnsley as a Swansea fan um, I'm, I'm excited to watch those playoffs and, and, and that's my recommend, recommendation for the weekend on Monday yeah, it'll be really interesting I, I think uh, for viewers who uh, who maybe haven't uh, watched these clubs Brentford always has players I, I just I've gone I, I, I a lot of the listeners know I regularly uh, contribute to talk sport in the UK as a correspondent covering this specifically the championship and uh, it's amazing that every time we talk about Brentford we end up talking about the other league the Premier League right the, the top division because there's so many Brentford guys who make an impact in the Premier League so even if you're not interested in these four clubs you might want to watch uh, as you recommended the, the Bournemouth Barnsley match because uh, uh, excuse me the Bournemouth Brentford match because Brentford always uh, places guys at the next level Ivan Tony is the next guy uh, on that uh, on yeah. that side just this season we've seen Ali Watkins and uh, Saeed Benarama come into the Premier League and have a huge impact last season we saw two seasons ago we saw it with Neil Mape last season we saw it with Konsa uh, uh, at the back for, for Aston Villa so every single year Brentford is producing Premier League level players and of course Bournemouth the team that that uh, Premier League fans are familiar with and then the other piece of news is that uh, on Sunday, May 23rd, it's the final day of the Premier League season. And uh, all of the games will be featured as part of their Championship Sunday. Uh, the games will be across NBC, NBCSN, USA, CNBC, Telemundo, Universo, Peacock, and the Golf Channel. And with this one, though, Kartik, I think it's really it's, it's down to the race for the Champions League. And uh, I think that's 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 all that's left in terms of being uh, being uh, determined, and and oftentimes too, like the uh, the last game of the season, you'll see some of the clubs wearing their new kits for the next season. Um, so it's not going to be, I think, the the biggest championship uh, finale by any means. But uh, it's been a long season, and uh, it's been relatively decent, and and, and this might be entertaining. I'm, I'm trying to be positive on this, <laughs> but but it, the race for the Champions League spots and Europa League spots definitely will be interesting. All right, TV ratings. This was a huge weekend last weekend for soccer in the United States because we had uh, games on every single uh, major over-the-air network last Saturday with games on NBC, CBS, uh, ABC, um, and Fox. And the ratings are in for these numbers, uh, for these games. Uh, the biggest one was uh, on the English language side was Chelsea against Man City. 1.04 million viewers on NBC and Universo combined. The uh, El Trafico, the uh, LA Derby between LA Galaxy and LAFC, which was actually a really good game and uh, a- excellent atmosphere in the stadium. That was uh, 695,000 viewers on Fox and Fox Deportes combined. 
massive number for uh, for Major League Soccer there. Portland against Seattle. So you got the uh, the Cascadia Derby, six hundred and twenty thousand, and this is part of a uh, doubleheader on ABC. And then Miami into Miami against Atlanta, five hundred and fifty seven thousand uh, as the earlier game in that doubleheader. Then you had the NWSL Challenge Cup final, which was on CBS, and that one had 534,000. Last but not least, uh, West Brom against Arsenal, a rare Sunday game on NBC, and that was 483,000. Kartik, from these numbers, is there anything here that pops out at you that you find uh, interesting? Yeah, uh, MLS beat the Premier League head-to-head, and to me it's because they had Seattle in one match and Atlanta in the other. So I've said time and again, and the LA Derby number kind of does surprise me, it being that high, but I think if you put that up against a other soccer match in the mid-afternoon, it would not do as well as, as matches involving Atlanta and Seattle. There are only two MLS teams, I think, that have uh, intriguing... Have intrigue a national following, and it's Seattle and it's Atlanta. And I know MLS people want to push New York teams and LA teams, but I don't think they quite uh, have the impact. Uh, although, again, the LA Derby number was uh, was pretty high. I, it surprised me, but so that's the big takeaway. Again, uh, it kind of reaffirms my view that if MLS is going to be competitive. Uh, and I know that uh, it's all about parity and people want all 20, I don't know how many teams are on MLS now. I've lost track. All 20-something teams to be on constantly and, and give everybody fairness. I, I'm MLS, and I've got a broadcast deal. I'm putting Port, I'm putting uh, Seattle and Atlanta and Portland uh, to a lesser extent on every week. Yeah, that's the thing about uh, MLS so far this season is that uh, I think I've watched every weekend. Uh, I've, I've watched probably more Major League Soccer this season so far than any other season in several years, I mean, for the first few weeks of the season. And um, what I would say is that the games I have watched, I mean, not everyone has been a good game. Some of them have been kind of relatively boring, but you, you get that with any league that you see. But the the big factor for me is the atmosphere in the stadiums and seeing the crowds. I mean, yes, it's limited in many occasions. Uh, they will be opening up to full capacity for some of the stadiums uh, later this month. But that is a big difference uh, compared to games in Europe. And, of course, a lot of that is down to the vaccination um, in the United States being ahead of um, the rest of the world. But from a pure watching the game and hearing the fans and the level of excitement and it actually being authentic, natural sounds from the stadium and not piped in audio, uh, for me, it's a deciding factor. It's... It's enjoyable. It's different, right? Uh, and and the level of the football I've seen has been good. I, there haven't been. Uh, there's been a couple of games where it's been okay. Um, some of the refereeing decisions, which it's interesting for me watching this one, watching these, is that how VAR is used less often, which is a good thing. Except there's in, there's so many instances I've seen this season in, in a relatively short season in MLS where. There's such a blatant mistake, and the VAR is not being well. There's no VAR is not catching the mistakes, so there are mistakes happening. I'm not talking about offsides, but I'm talking about penalty decisions, handballs, these types of things, which are so blatant. The referee misses it. It's a, to me a clear and obvious error. We know that VAR is watching the games, and for whatever reason. 
they're not going back and making the right call. So VAR is less of an influence in MLS, which is good because it's free-flowing. But as a, a neutral soccer fan, and I'm watching this, I'm like, how if you're using VAR, but then not actually using it to correct the mistakes, then what's the point of having VAR? So, yeah, uh, anyway, but it, it's been overall very entertaining, and this has been one of the most enjoyable MLS seasons I've seen for the first few weeks, at least, um, in quite some time. Listener mailbag, Dave Roberts. In every sport, in every league, there's been one transformative figure who helped cement that league or sport in the public's consciousness and helped turn that sport from something cute into something people could rally behind. Now, Kartik, just as an aside, this this one's a really good one. And let's see if you're thinking along the same lines as I am on this one. So Dave Roberts continues. He says, yet... That figure never, ever came along overnight. Let's take a look, shall we? Baseball, for example, was first organized in 1876, but that sport didn't have its first transformative figure until 1914, when Babe Ruth signed his first professional contract. That was 38 years after baseball was organized. The NHL was organized in 1917, but Wayne Gretzky didn't come along until 1978. 61 whole years passed. The NBA, that league was formed in 1946, but its first transformative figure, arguably Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, didn't sign the contract until 1969. Pro basketball was 23 years old at that point. I can argue that point. I can argue on that Okay. Point. Well, uh, in terms of soccer, though, we're, we're sticking to soccer here. Yeah, the, okay, the, okay. The, the NFL was formed in 1920. Joe Namath didn't come along until 1965. 45 years, two world wars, the Korean War, the Beatles on Ed Sullivan, and the Kennedy assassination passed before American football really became a national sport and part of the public's consciousness thanks to this blue-eyed, handsome man. And now soccer. The English Football League was organized in 1888. It can be argued that its first true transformative figure was Sir Stanley Matthews. He went pro in 1932. 44 whole years had to pass before someone of his majesty had to come along. If you're not getting my point, it's this. Soccer is still a young uh, game in terms of being a professional sport in the United States. In Babe Ruth's days, there was the American Soccer League, and maybe if he decided to hit a ball with his feet instead of with a stick, soccer in the States today would be different. So, Kartik, um, let, let, let's not go down the NFL rabbit hole on this one, but let, let's stick to soccer. Do you agree with Dave? And, you mean, are we still waiting for that transformative figure in American soccer? Yeah. And and we haven't produced that person now. I, the question is, um, they, you you could you could argue that the uh, that there was an awareness of the sport that came with Beckham signing in the in in MLS that was not there before. Correct. In terms of the sport outside of the national team, everybody's known about the World Cups. I would say going back to even '66. Uh, and obviously, especially starting in '94 uh, with the U- with the U.S. hosting and '98 onward, uh, but uh, I think 2007 was really important in terms of MLS bringing David Beckham to the league and people being aware that there was a viable top flight 
uh, league in uh, in 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 this country. But I don't know what it takes. Look, I worked in the NASL when we we brought Marco Senna over, we brought Raul over, we brought Joe Cole over. Um, and all that stuff like uh, moves the needle among soccer geeks, but it doesn't um, it doesn't move it among other people. So maybe um, uh, yeah, maybe you need an American uh, player that that's that breaks through and is a a global superstar. But then I think about um, non-team sports. So this is this is this is different. Um, even in cycling, Lance Armstrong didn't make it necessarily mainstream. A lot of Olympic sports where Americans dominate individual sports, they didn't make it mainstream. The flip side of this is tennis. When uh, Connors and McEnroe and later Sampras and Agassi and Courier were winning uh, tournaments, tennis was fairly watched men's tennis in the U.S. since it's been dominated by arguably the greatest generation of players you know, with the, uh, uh, the the Federers and, and the uh, and, and the Nadals, etc., uh, Djokovic uh, and Andy Murray, it has been less popular in the United States. Um, but, so but let's, I, maybe you need a genuine American star is the point. All right. So we, we've got a difference of opinion here, Kartik, because what what I read into this, and, and it's, it's an excellent... Uh, suggestion by Dave in terms of that we, we need a transformative figure. And I think David Beckham was one of those people. Um, if David Beckham can't do it, you mean possibly no one can unless it's an American? You mean that? You mean if it is, yes. uh, I don't know, an American David Beckham, so to, so to speak. But I would argue that, I mean, soccer in the United States has been around since the late 1800s. Most people don't realize that, right? It's so late 1800s, early 1900s. In the 1910s, 20s, 30s, 40s, there were, there were leagues, there were professional leagues in the Northeast. There were teams that came from England and from uh, Europe that traveled to the United States to play friendly games. Um, and, and yes, the leagues, you know, many of them went out of, out of business. And then, and then in the 60s, and then the late 60s, and then into the 70s, NASL, hang on, let me finish, NASL came along. But that transformative figure, Kartik, was Pelé. I mean, you've got the world's best player in the history of the sport. I mean, in the history of the sport. And then you've had that transformative figure. You've actually had two transformative figures. And both of them have not been able to, to crack the, the American you mean, culture, mainstream culture. So if those two can't do it, I don't think anyone can. I, I was just going to point out, I think you're right uh, on that. But um, in the era prior, Dave mentions Sir, Sir Stan, uh, Stanley Matthews. The era immediately prior to S Sir Stanley Matthews turning pro, this is actually significant in this discussion, the ASL was poaching players from the English First Division and the Scottish First Division. There were a lot of players coming, top pros at the time, coming to play here. And uh, ironically, you know, the Great Depression begins in 1929. The ASL... The first ASL collapses kind of at the same time uh, or a year or two after Stanley Matthews transforms the English First Division. So uh, very – historically, the events could have, could have changed, and actually the ASL may have been the dominant league still, and Stan Sir Stanley Matthews would have come and played in the U.S., Wow. Uh, a, a couple of years later, yeah, which which in Fall River or wherever. So yeah. that's that's actually something. And once you mentioned the ASL, I realized there was an actual tie-in to all of this. Um, and once Dave mentioned the the ASL, so we've had 
uh, soccer hero, you're right, all this time. And uh, does that transformative figure have to be American? Well, I guess if Pele and David Beckham couldn't do it, then I don't know who could. Actually, yeah, yeah. there's no one, maybe. Yeah, yeah. You you go down the list though too. I mean, you got uh, Franz Beckenbauer, you've got uh, Bobby Moore, you've got uh, Gerd Müller, uh, you've got Cruyff. Uh, Johan Cruyff. Cruyff. Is the most I mean, it's what maybe now in, in in hindsight more famous than all of them. Pele as a player, but Cruyff I think had more of an impact on the sport as a whole. Most right. most important, one of the most important figures in the history of this sport. Yeah, especially um, the way that the game is played, and you look at Barcelona. Played, yeah. uh, so so we've had the transformative figures. Uh, I just don't see it cracking. And, and again, too, maybe it has to be an American, but. Um, I mean, Pulisic's definitely going far, and, and a lot of these players are, are going, coming through the system. But I'm not so well, sure we're going to have that transformative figure that's my, an American. My point, real quickly on the basketball thing with Dave was no, 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 this to <laughs> no. no this relates to soccer. Okay, make it, make it, make it quick, NBA, make it quick, because we have a lot to get to. And and I actually, I I I grew up a Milwaukee Bucks fan, so I know about Kareem going to the Bucks in '69. Um, I don't think it moved the needle very much for the NBA. The NBA was still, and it was the one sport I really liked growing up other than soccer. So I, it was tough to watch NBA games in Florida. I don't think the NBA hit the mainstream the way Dave may, thinks it, may think it did until Michael Jordan. Maybe Bird and Magic. So I would put the NBA much further down, add another 20 years to that, okay. 23 years. So that as it relates to soccer is there were people we think may have been transformative in soccer history. Like he thinks Kareem was transformative in the NBA's history. I think maybe that person hasn't come yet. So maybe it is the, uh, I don't want to say the name question, uh, but, uh, but it could be him. I, I, I don't it know. Could it, it could be. It could be. People say uh, Chelsea wins the champions league. I think every American is rooting for Chelsea, uh, except for me, because I'm a man city supporter, but I think every American <laughs> other than me is rooting for Chelsea. And, that might be one of the moments, well, particularly with it being on CBS network television, that sparks it. It possibly. could be it could be one of the first steps in that building block. I mean, there's a long way to go to get to that point. But uh, I, I think winning the World Cup would be that transformative figure, the captain that raises that trophy. And that does not look likely anytime in, in our near future. It could happen, but... It's unlikely right now, but that that's the type of thing that would be transformative, I think. And if, if that's not, then let's call the whole thing off because it's never going to happen. <laughs> but let's move on because we've got a lot of mailbag today. Uh, Greg says, not sure you two realize it, especially Kartik, but the points you make on the podcast last week about NBC taking the side of American football ownership is not that far off Noam Chomsky's uh, points about news coverage of governments in his book, Manufacturing Consent. The, uh, the, the long version, or the short version, is uh, news companies are mostly medium to big corporations themselves, and it's not in their interest to challenge government structures too much. Because of their own business imperatives, there are internalized assumptions that permeate down from management, even to the on-air talent. These forces act as subtle, or sometimes not so subtle, coercion to stick to uh, to, to stick to back uh, to, to back government, or in this case, the league and the club that happens to be arguably its largest global brand. NBC needs the Premier League more than the Premier League needs NBC right now. Rebecca and the other on-air talent are living their largest paychecks and paydays thanks to NBC holding the Premier League rights. 
And as you did finally get around to mentioning, NBC also wants to keep it keep its NFL deal. And the Glazers own the team who are currently NFL champs and who have on their roster one of the league's most marketable stars. And despite MSNBC being a liberal-leaning news outlet, NBC as a broadcasting company is very cautious and conservative, like likely reflecting Comcast corporate values now just like before they reflected GE values. The show 30 Rock was a good parody for a reason. You're right about the difference between NBC and some other outlets in that the pundits are also reporters as well. That is a huge factor in their pre-post-game studio sessions, lacking in deeper insight. But in the end, this is about NBC protecting its own business interests, both consciously and unconsciously. And this is what news has done for decades since it has become big business. Kartik, uh, I think that's, I mean, to me, that's uh, letter of the week. But I'm going to move on because I, I don't want to go down the NBC rabbit hole. Um, although they've made some improvements since our last podcast. They're definitely listening. But yeah. I, I just don't want to go down there, I mean, if, if that's okay. Yeah, I, I, yeah that's fine. I, I mean, I, I just, I, I agree with a lot that's there. So we'll just, uh, yeah. we'll just move on. Me too. Uh, Dana Miner says, I am going to paraphr- paraphrase an old saying, so forgive me if I don't get it quite right. It is virtually impossible to convince a man to see something when his livelihood depends on him not seeing it. Rebecca Lowe, Robbie Earl, and Robbie Musto are paid handsomely by NBC to be cheerleaders for the Premier League. Criticizing the Glazers or any of the other billionaires who who run the big clubs could jeopardize NBC's negotiations for the next Premier League TV deal, thereby jeopardizing their cushy uh, jobs. That may be a cynical take on things, but how else can you account for such elitist, corporate garbage coming from the mouths of two formerly working class men who fought their way to the highest rung of the football ladder and a former TV reporter who used to walk to school with Peter Crouch. They know what side their bread is buttered on and they are not going to uh, do anything to, to upset things. Nick says, I love the most uh, recent podcast episode and I couldn't agree with uh, more, could not agree more with the points you were making regarding the shocking NBC coverage of the Man United uh, supporters protest. I wanted to touch on Robbie Earl's comments mocking what fan ownership would look like. Does Robbie Earl not know the history of one of his former clubs who he played nearly 10 years for? Wimbledon FC was controversially moved from Wimbledon to Milton Keynes in 2001 by their greedy owner. The supporters were devastated and decided to form their own club, Wimbledon AFC, in 2002. Since 2002, that club has been hugely successful, working its way up to League One and has plans to build a new 20,000-seat stadium. That is all fan-owned, another clear example that this model works. Robbie Earl sounded even more ignorant when completely ignoring the success story of Wimbledon AFC, which I would have assumed he would be well aware of. Love the show. Keep up the great work. Uh, Rich Milner says, I really enjoyed your your discussion. As I listened to the studio crew on Sunday, it seemed their message was supporters' concerns bad, vulture capitalists good. Their lack of appreciation of the issues involved was startling. 
Disco George says, I missed out on all the fun on Sunday morning. I slept in until until noon and regret, regret nothing. So I got most of my information from ESPN FC, YouTube clips and podcasts later that night or on Monday and Tuesday. The reporting overall in the story seemed to be uh, really fragmented, which isn't totally surprising considering that most pundits and presenters aren't use, aren't used to reporting on breaking news with that amount of moving parts. It is weird, though, that NBC didn't do a quick timeline of the Man United protests over the years. I'd forgotten about a lot of the stuff that happened during the Ferguson years, for example, until I was reminded about it. That helped me better understand why uh, that Sunday's events went down the way they did. Of course, given how NBC has treated some other controversial topics in the other sports that they cover, I'm not totally shocked. Um, moving on, Alex G says, I think you're surprised that NBC's coverage of the protests at Manchester are out of touch with how American sports media works. Whether it's right or wrong, no rights holder is going, is going against the league that's keeping the lights on. Of course, ESPN can say whatever they want. And um, NBC wants to keep the Premier League for the next contract. Stan Kroenke, Joel Glazer and John Henry will have a say in that contract. Sky Sports has a lot more flexibility because, as far as I know, the chances of the Premier League leaving them is significantly smaller than the Premier League going to the 50 other streaming options we have in the USA. Mercator, or Mercata, I think Mercator, says, switched over to Sky since I tuned in to watch the Arsenal. Uh, not some drone shot of a mob at Old Trafford on the split screen. I think you were being a bit hard on NBC, though. The, the crime was not showing the Arsenal game in full, not having a corporate opinion on how a publicly traded corporation is run. The NBC crew doesn't have that sort of leeway or confrontational nature. They aren't big names like Gary Neville, Jamie Carragher. Um, Jamie Carragher had a, a flare thrown at him and his response was disappointment in Liverpool fans for not rioting as well. The Robbies cannot say similar things on American television. NBC always has this facade of serious and professional, but is almost always out of touch. See Bob Costas. ESPN FC spent five minutes arguing about how to uh, pronounce uh, hyperbole. But Craig and Stevie could now, uh, couldn't tow a corporate line if their lives depended on it. There is always going to be some trade-off between professionalism and authenticity. I would rather have authenticity and a bit of fun. If I want serious commentary, I can find uh, Arsene Wenger's latest clips on YouTube. But I tune in to watch the match, not to get breaking news. The split screen can wait 20 minutes for halftime. Jim says, thanks for the continued great work on the podcast. I know there are, uh, I know since there are no ads running during the podcast, that this is really a labor of love for you guys and is very much appreciated by listeners such as me. And, and, and actually, Jim, just as an aside to you and, and also other listeners, it, it's not that um, we, we could have ads on this show and we've been approached by many companies uh, to put ads on the show. I just prefer not to. I mean, if you go to worldsoccertalk.com, there's no banner ads. There's no uh, autoplay videos. There's no ads. And on this podcast, that's just my preferred method is just to keep it. I mean, from time to time, we might have an advertiser, but it has to be somebody that uh, we know, we trust, we use. Um, so that's the reason why it's not that um, it's a labor, labor of love. Yes. Uh, but also it's a decision on our part uh, not to have uh, advertising at this time. Uh, Jim goes on to say, my question to you is, I have not heard much about Amazon Prime 
and their ongoing engagement with the Premier League. I know they ran a number of games in the UK. Do you have any information about whether Amazon Prime will be a will be a ongoing player in streaming the Premier League? Finally, boo hiss to ESPN Plus for cutting the derby against Sheffield Wednesday feed in the fifth minute of injury time. What a joke. So, Kartik, let's take a pause there because we we've got some great feedback so far, but we do have a couple of questions. Um, the Amazon Prime, yeah, it's, that's going to continue in the UK. Um, and Amazon Prime in the US, that's always a possibility. They have the money. Uh, it's just a matter of do they make a bid and go for it, and and then uh, ESPN Plus. Did you catch that the uh, the technical difficulties? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was a match where the winner stayed up. Uh, well, there was no winner, but uh, <laughs> you know, uh, Derby stayed up and Sheffield Wednesday went down based on the result of the of the match. So it was a, a catastrophic uh, error. Uh, although uh, there's still some, uh, I, I, just real quickly, there's still a possibility that Darby could go down and Wickham might stay up in their place uh, due to uh, financial situ- financial for, issues. For, for, for those listeners who, d- who don't know, so the game was Darby against Sheffield Wednesday. It was uh, 3-3 and it was um, in the fifth minute of injury time, probably like 30 seconds to go in the game. If Sheffield Wednesday had scored, uh, actually was it two? They stay up. Yeah, yes. it was a 2-2 yeah, or 3-3. Three, three. But anyway, if Sheffield Wednesday had scored in the last like 30 seconds, Sheffield Wednesday would have stayed up, Derby would have gotten, would have gotten Derby relegated. Would have yes. And all of a sudden, it was a they switched the, the feed from that game to Crawley against Bolton Wanderers. And then after about 10 seconds, had a technical difficulties message. And we never got to the end of the game. We never saw it. So I, I think everyone, myself included, and, and went, way, went onto the internet. The match was, was actually important, too, in, in that league, in League Two. But, uh, yeah, yeah, I had to check the score. So then I, I thought I thought maybe – and so here's the other thing that was really weird. So um, I, I, I didn't know what was going on. And then when I checked the score, it was full time. So I don't know what actually happened in that last minute or so that was played. Yeah, because probably I, I did, it's not like I got onto a ticker and, it, and it pick, I picked it up right from when the broadcast was cut. I think uh, I think it's uh, hopefully a learning lesson from ESPN's point of view. But I, I mean, in that first half, at the end of the first half, there was, like, I don't know, six or seven minutes of extra time because of an injury. Um, so by the time the, the second half kicked off, it started in probably about uh, almost 10 minutes later then the other games being played at the same time or supposed to be played at the same time. So I don't know if it was one of those things where uh, ESPN Plus has kind of a, a cutoff time where they say, okay, after 10 minutes after the game is, is over, go ahead and kill that feed and now move it on to the next feed. What, whatever it is, it was an embarrassing mistake. Luckily, there was no goal scored. Um because if there had been, that would have been holy hell. Oh, my yeah. gosh, that would have been awful. But uh, hopefully it's a learning lesson from, from ESPN+, and hopefully they, they'll make sure that doesn't happen again. Jake Hirsch says, I don't love any league because of promotion relegation, even though it's a great aspect of leagues that have it. I love those other leagues because of their history or the great teams or players. I do wish MLS had promotion relegation, though. Daniel says, first off, I love the podcast and have been listening to you guys for a long time now. As one of my favorite YouTubers says, never stop making these. Second, do you think USL will overtake MLS one day? MLS uh, itself seems to be doing its own thing and refuses to implement 
promotion relegation or give up its D1 sanction. But with USL rebranding the, the leagues in 2018 into the USL Championship, USL League One, and USL League Two, which is exactly like the English football model, do you think that it's possible that these leagues one day will have enough financial support and backing to have ProRail? So, Kartik, what do you think? Do you think um, that's possible that USL could at some point in the future be bigger than MLS? And no. do you think promotion relegation? Uh, no, 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 they will not be bigger than MLS. And I know they've been hearing this for years. And before that, NASL, which I worked in, obviously, being bigger than MLS, not going to happen. MLS has the corporate backing. They have the sponsorship money. They have the TV. There's a lot more to being a major league than just the product on the field. And I can say that from having worked in lower division soccer in this country. And as much as people may think I bash MLS uh, because of uh, my own kind of uh, ideology around the sport and my ideology about open leagues, I I do acknowledge that on the business side, they are uh, whatever differences you see on the field between USL and MLS. uh, It's 10 times that on the corporate side. It's 10 times that on the front office side. So that's so one, no Uh, two. I also think it's very difficult for USL to implement ProRel. I know Jake Edwards, as recently as a couple of days ago, went on Seb Salazar and Herc Gomez's show and discussed it, uh, the Football Americas uh, on ESPN+. Plus. They are a franchise-based league. So the leagues, you're, you're, the comparison to the Football League, they might be taking the same branding, Championship League 1, League 2, but those are all independent clubs that can move up and down the pyramid and can even move up from the Football League to, to Premier League or down into uh, the National League from, from the Football League. USL sells franchises, and they're a league that is independently owned by another company. So the league is owned by a company that does not have interest in any of the clubs, and the clubs are all franchised. So I think it's very difficult to do up and down, uh, kind of uh, uh, replicate an open system with that kind of corporate governance. I actually think it would be easier in MLS with single entity, where the club owners all have a stake in the league. They don't in USL. So I have hopes that USL will do it. I hope, actually, USL could compete with MLS, but I'm not optimistic on either front, just giving you a realistic professional view of it. Next up is uh, John Average Geek. John says, I love my team and do not like the U.S. league model. I understand each U.S. league's history. I understand why MLS is a single entity, but I wish US, uh, um, the United States Soccer Federation required a path to promotion relegation, even if it's a big multi-tier semi-closed system. Uh, Molly says, in regards to the discussions about NBC and the criticism of uh, Manchester United and NBC's coverage, the object is to win games and to make money for the stakeholders. As a person who is uh, in finance, uh, what Rebecca Lowe stated is valid. These fans did not put their money uh, into the club. The Glazers did. In America, the purpose is to make money. You don't get it. It's a business and profits, number one. Fans have no say in how the business is run. The Glazers will never sell. If if these supporters think they can pressure the Glazers to to sell, then these people are living in fairy tale land. That uh, so, what what do you think about that, Kartik? Where do I start? First of all, if you say stakeholders, the stakeholders are the supporters of Manchester United Football Club. They have a lot more at stake with that club than the Glazers do. Um, If you're saying the shareholders, that's different. The stakeholders and shareholders are two different things. Um, I respect what Molly is saying from a very American capitalist point of view, but that is not why football clubs exist in the UK. That's not why football clubs exist in Europe. Well, that's a big one. 
that's a that's a big one though too. I mean, like, um, and again, to a lot of American business people, they will think this is very strange, Kartik. But the number one purpose of a football club is is not to make money. It, it is to be a community team. It's to be a, a team that represents that like city, a church or a school in a community. I've said this over and over again that Americans don't. A lot of Americans don't get this. That it is like the churches in small towns in the United States, or schools are in kind of smaller, medium-sized towns in the United States. It's a rallying community institution uh, in 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 Britain, in Germany, in France. It's. It, it, and I think uh, when you when you start viewing these things as corporate assets or financial assets or parts of a portfolio, Peter Schmeichel even used that term, uh, then you, you, there's no way to reconcile where we are, Molly, and where you are and where a lot of American fans of the sport are. Because it's we're, we're starting from a completely different understanding and perception of what a football club is and what it means, and particularly one like Manchester United. I'm going to uh, restate what I said um, on Twitter uh, uh, 10 days ago, or Manchester United is one of Britain's great exports. Post-war Britain was a pretty grim place. You know this, Chris. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you, 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 I'm, not had, th- I'm not that old, but I, no, I, I do that know old. that. Your, par- your parents <laughs> can tell you this, right? right. But uh, post-war Britain was a pretty grim place, and th- Britain had lost its empire, and there was a lot that, um, that, that, that about the country that, there, that was difficult. And I think that what Britain did to make itself once again relevant culturally, even after they had lost their political influence, they were no longer a superpower on the same level of, of the United States or even you know, economically on the level of Germany, um, was they exported their culture. And I would say the Beatles, James Bond movies, and Manchester United, starting with Munich. Manchester United is on that, you know, Austin Powers, all this stuff. Manchester United is on that that scale. So it is a heck of a lot more important than the asset of some uh, family based in, in Florida that uh, ha- that is uh, using it as part of their portfolio. It is it is. So this isn't just another football club. And again, I'm not a Manchester United fan. In fact, I, I don't like them as a, on the footballing mm-hmm. side. But this is a cultural this is a community institution uh in in salford and in trafford and that part of greater manchester and it it is a one of britain's most important global cultural exports so i don't i I think once i've stated that i'm in a completely different place and can't reconcile with the 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 view that hey it's a it's a private company owned by its shareholders or it's a public company really but you know a company owned by its shareholders and what 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 they want is what matters Next up is Anonymous, and he or she says, I wanted to email to say, although I'm not a Chelsea fan, congratulations to Christian Pulisic making the final. This is a stunning accomplishment for a U.S. men's national team player, and he is well on his way to becoming the most accomplished U.S. player on a club level, and he's only 22. Uh, Chelsea has one of the best group of young players in the game, and I'm glad he is part of it. Having said that, I feel the U.S. Federation and U.S. men's national team fans are going to use accomplishment as a make him the one and only savior of U.S. men's national team soccer. I understand making him the face of the team, but I feel all need to everyone needs to level expectations. Your thoughts? 
I don't think he's the best U.S. player right now. Um, so that, and I don't, I don't actually, maybe he's back in the top five. I didn't have him in my top three a couple of weeks ago. So he, yeah, I, I understand the various reasons for making him the face, particularly that he plays in the Premier League and he might be, he might have the right kind of check, check the right boxes to, to market to the whole country. Um, but I, um, I, well, he, I, well, he's also I, the most accessible, right? Most visible player. So, so you would argue that yeah, like Tyler Adams or Giorena or Weston McKinney, or, or, well, I don't argue Adams necessarily is better. Maybe uh, I think Adams is a smarter player. I think he's a more heady player, but he's got a, a lot of the attributes number sixes have, like the Indeedies or like the Conte. Conte plays with uh, Pulisic, but I would argue for sure Brooks is better right now. I think uh, uh, McKinney is better, and I think uh, uh, although he hasn't played well in the last few games, I think Sergio Dest uh, has done. Very well. Better yeah. than I expected this right back in his first pa- season at, at Barcelona. Yeah, now, granted, two of those guys are dual nationals, right, who were not born in uh, the U.S. But, uh, you know, McKinney was born in the U.S., came through an MLS academy, uh, is, I think, a better player overall, although he plays a different role than Pulisic. But I get it. None of those guys are in the Premier League, actually. Well, so that's, but, that's but, well, probably well, a big well, part of it. Well, the other, th- the other thing is you're, you're only as good as your team or your teammates, right? So Christian Pulisic, there's no, there's no doubt, is a, is a talented player player you I mean one of the best americans but maybe not the the best yet i uh, still young he could reach that level perhaps but then you have say tala adams at rb leipzig um or you I mean western i mean juventus is having a tough year um so on and so forth so a lot of these players I mean, dortmund's and, and, and had an up, up and down year so so i mean pulisic is, is is very fortunate to be on a very very good chelsea team under a fantastic manager. I mean, two calls do an amazing job. A, he's a playing with a guy, and I've written an article for another website talking about the fact that he, and I know all these Americans didn't like Mason Mount and thought that he was getting favoritism from Lampard and that he was taking Pulisic's spot when they don't, they don't even have the same attributes as players. So I don't know why people were thinking this, but I think he's become, coming into his own because he's playing with Mason Mount. Mason Mount as a eight slash 10 is the best guy England has produced in that role since Steven Gerrard. And I think it has the potential to be better than Gerard, believe it or not. I know that might be blasphemy to a lot of people listening, but uh, I just and people who follow me on Twitter know what I think, what I've thought of Mount for two and a half years since he was at Derby, and even un- made the unfortunate comment that I couldn't believe he was English. He was so technical and was so good at reading the game and so good at passing. So I think Pulisic has benefited from playing with him, and now he's also benefited from playing with Angolo Conte, who does a lot of the dirty work that we know. Um, I, my big uh, criticism of Pulisic is that his positioning sense is not quite as good as I'd like it to be. He doesn't read the game as quickly uh, out of possession, but when you have Conte behind you, that and you have Mount alongside you, that really that 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 kind of mitigates that. But yeah, he's he's doing great, and I think, like I said earlier in the podcast, every American's going to be rooting for Chelsea, except for uh, um, the few Manchester City fans in the country, like myself. I think it's a big, big, big moment for U.S. soccer if Pulisic wins the cup and he uh, wins the champ uh, the European Cup, and he is the uh, he is on the pitch when they win it, which I yeah. think. It's very possible because uh, Tuchel knows how to manage his minutes, and it's a, it could be a 120-minute match. So Americans shouldn't get discouraged if they see Kai Havertz as starting instead of Pulisic or uh, or, or uh, uh, Timo Werner or, uh, or Ziyech is starting instead of instead of him because he will play, and he will pro- likely be a guy that Tuchel's thinking can make the difference in the most important moments of that match. 
All right, three more comments to go. And um, next up is Matt. Matt says, I recently began listening to the podcast for the past few months, and I really enjoy it. I recently bought a TV antenna and was surprised by the amount of national broadcasts there are uh, this past weekend. We obviously have national broadcasts for Liga MX, and in a World Cup year, we will see national broadcasts too on Fox. However, we had two Premier League games on NBC last weekend, the NWSL Challenge Cup Final on CBS, and then two MLS games back-to-back on ABC. I usually stream my games personally, not through the TV, but this was just an observation of mine from the weekend. I am all for more national broadcasts, even though I I fully don't expect the number we had this past weekend. It would be nice to have another game nationally televised, such as MLS or NWSL, once a week when the season runs, just like NBC is giving us uh, one Premier League game a week nationally. We would like to see that. Uh, That does help uh, grow the game. That does help uh, introduce people uh, who may not otherwise be watching or streaming, uh, subscribe to a streaming service. Um, I just don't see that happening anytime soon as far as any big changes. I mean, we've got the Euros this summer um, and we've got uh, some other games to look forward to. Of course, the Olympics uh, are much more. But I, good points, uh, Matt, but I just don't see anything changing anytime soon. Maybe ABC with La Liga. We'll see. Uh Curtis says, wow, the fact that ESPN Plus has acquired rights to all La Liga games in both English and Spanish is simply fantastic. Let's see what streaming looks like beginning this coming August. ESPN Plus will show all games from the Bundesliga. Uh, Italian Serie A will be on CBS. Uh, Spain's La Liga will be, along with the FA Cup matches and championship matches from England, among others, on ESPN+. Plus, uh, Paramount+, Plus will continue to show matches from Argentina, Brazil, and both the Champions League and Europa League. Peacock Premium will continue to show matches from the Premier League. And, of course, uh, Tudor NA Extra uh, will show key matches in English from Liga MX. If you're a soccer fan in the U.S. and su- subscribe to at least one of these services... I subscribe to all three, by the way. You simply cannot wait for the ball to roll come August. Like the song says, what a time to be alive. I simply cannot wait. Forget college football. And and then one final note. The ball is on the ground and rolling. We're on the air and cruising. Let's do 90. And that was uh, Adrian Garcia Marquez, uh, Liga MX commentator on FS1, FS2 and Fox Deportes. Last but not least, David says, um, I am here. I'm a La Liga guy. Always have been, always will be. So, so excited about the move to ESPN, but have a couple of questions that maybe you guys can answer. We all know being sports hasn't been the greatest, but most La Liga fans around the world are diehard Ray Hudson fans like myself and have been used to having Phil Shane next to him for the call. Any idea if they will try and bring them over? Also, I'm, I mostly watch La Liga TV via Sling TV. It has great content throughout the day and has great studio wraparound coverage of matches. They break down every game, every team, and not just the big boys. You know, uh, Do you know if La Liga TV will be available to us once the switch happens? It's owned by the league, so I would hope they would put some of it on ESPN+. Plus. 
like they do with the Bundesliga and Serie A, though these are usually just summing up the past matches, the past match days, which really isn't what La Liga TV is. So in terms of La Liga TV, as of the recording of this podcast, we don't know yet. Um, I would imagine that those that would be included. Um, but whether or not ESPN Plus decides to broadcast that, we'll have to wait and see. It's it's too early to tell right now. Um, Ray Hudson and Phil Shane, Kartik, what do you think? Do, you, do, do they make the move? Do, is ESPN going to be wise enough to, to bring them over? Yeah, Phil Shane has worked for ESPN before, uh, but I, I think now in this, this uh, era of remote uh, technology, you can keep uh, – Ray Hudson lives in Fort Lauderdale. Phil Shane lives in uh, suburb west of Fort Lauderdale, uh, Miami, Fort Lauderdale, Miami area. Uh, you could uh, you could use them from home. I mean we've seen uh, 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 Nikki Bandini, right, but last week yep. on uh, uh, Serie A. Uh, she did her, her, uh, her co-commentary from, uh, from home, and, and home is in the U.K., by the way, uh, for her, not, not in, uh, in the U.S. So uh, we uh, – there, there's the possibility, there's a technology to do it. I just don't know if ESPN is going to use this as an opportunity to promote their own uh, talent that they already have. Uh, they have a lot of soccer talent uh, in the building in Bristol and, and nearby in, in Connecticut and Massachusetts. I don't this is really a tough decision, honestly, because they're synonymous. Phil Shane and Ray Hudson are synonymous with La Liga, particularly Barcelona fans like them. Um, I think more than Real Madrid and Atleti fans. Uh, but then ESPN has the infrastructure and the talent already on staff. I don't think they really have to hire anyone, if I'm honest with mm-hmm. you, uh, to, do, to do La Liga. They have people there that can do it. And they spend a lot of time already on the ESPN FC show uh, talking about La Liga. And, and actually, in Kay Murray and Dan Thomas, you have two presenters that have presented La Liga matches previously at other networks so uh, and in other entities uh, and both uh, both have a, a, an array of knowledge about the league so uh, this is a tough one I mean I, I'm, I'm really kind of uh, it's a toss-up for me and it's it's uh, it's really up to ESPN and I think they are going to grapple with the decision also and uh, I'm not sure um, they're going to make it right away right they're going to they, but they, well, they've got time sure right about it. Yeah. yeah it's one of those things that um I mean, these rights are costing an enormous amount of money for for uh, ESPN to bring these rights to um, La Liga rights to to uh, consumers in the, in the United States. And um, you mean they've had layoffs in the past? Um, you mean at ESPN they have a full staff that's there and ready and probably salivating over this opportunity. I mean, Seb Salazar is one person that just stands out as somebody who would be a fantastic host or host of some of the games. Dan Thomas, who used to work for Real Madrid TV, as did uh, um, uh, K-, K2. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of experience there. There's a lot of uh, already informed knowledge of that league. But Ray, Ray is somebody, is one of a kind. Um it's almost like folklore at, at this stage in terms of La Liga. Uh, having him on, and, and if I remember correctly, he used to work for ESPN also after the Miami, or maybe before the Miami Fusion days. But he did, he did some commentating for ESPN in the past. But having Ray on for an El Clasico, uh, joined by Phil, I mean, they're a great partnership together. Not everybody likes them, but I, I mean, I think they're, they're really, really special. 
I think that can make the difference between appealing to the mainstream audience. The mainstream audience that would be captivated, who may not have watched La Liga that much and is tuning into ABC to watch El Clasico. And here's Ray talking about uh, even all his metaphors and his poetry. I think that could really resonate with consumers yeah, and, and the viewers. Yeah. So, so, so I could see Phil Shane and, and Ray Hudson calling matches, but then the studio being uh, hosted by either Dan Thomas or, uh, or or Kay Murray, which would then open the door for Seb Salazar to do more ESPN FC shows. He does, he does Friday pretty regularly now, but that's the only show he does weekly. And then, of course, Football Americas, where, uh, I mean, uh, since you mentioned, I'm going to put it out there yeah. on this podcast, even though uh, uh, it's not relevant necessarily to La Liga. Uh, Seb Salazar is the only presenter that covers American soccer and a mainstream broadcaster that's telling it like it is, in my opinion. Uh, he's doing a phenomenal job. Did it again. Him and Herc Gomez, uh, who's, of course, uh, the, 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 the studio talent, former yeah. U.S. men's national team player. Uh, they're the only two guys doing a show that is telling it like it is. They did it again this week with MLS. And... Uh, uh, I, I can't speak highly enough that I think it's important when we talk about the characters and the Nevilles and the people like that over uh, in the UK that we give love to those few that are very courageous mm-hmm. here to step out like that. And I think uh, Seb and, and Herc are those two guys here. And there yeah. are others, but they're, they're, they're leading the line right now, so to speak. Yeah, and, and fair play to ESPN for allowing these guys to, to just to share their opinions because a lot of other broadcasters probably would p- uh, pull them in a little bit and say, hey, you mean, don't go... Uh, too critical about uh, the state of U.S. soccer right now, or, or that, that's kind of uh, uh, taper it down or kind of calm down a little bit. But no, these guys speak their minds and uh, they speak intelligently. Uh, not 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 just Seb Salazar and Hook uh, Gomez, but there's many many others. But uh, all right, Carter, let's wrap it up just because it's been a good long podcast with some great information and some fantastic feedback, probably. Probably, to me at least, one of our best uh, episodes ever as far as some really, really good feedback about a variety of topics and and some really fantastic uh, letters there from the listeners. Uh, Listeners, we do want you to have your say. So uh, anything in regards to watching soccer on television, streaming or apps, you can always reach us via email through web at worldsoccertalk.com as well as facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk and on Twitter at worldsoccertalk. Plus, of course, you can post your comments on worldsoccertalk.com. Kartik, uh, heading into another weekend of football from around the world, um, the French League, right? And the Spanish League. Oh, yeah. I mean, those are our two uh, saviors right now in terms of title races, um, mistakes happening on both sides, even in terms of, uh, I mean, I think clubs uh, feeling the pressure, making mistakes, letting goals in. We saw that with uh, Levante against Barcelona, an incredible 3-3 game there midweek, but uh what 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 should we look out for this weekend as far as um, those title races that appeal to you and and then what should our listeners do? Yeah, so look out for PSG. Uh, I I cannot stress this enough. I this since we've talked about media, we haven't talked about this enough. The way Pochettino's team unraveled at the end of the season when Leicester won the title. Um, the Spurs team and the same kind of demonstrativeness on the pitch we're seeing uh, at PSG. And we saw it uh, in the dying minutes of the, the match over the weekend. We saw it in the dying minutes, obviously, against Manchester City, also in the Champions League. So I have a feeling the title race in France 
I, I don't want to jinx it because I do want Lil to win it, but I have a feeling it may not really be on. Lil might, Lil might get three points this weekend, and PSG will drop points again, and that'll be it. Um, now, in Spain, I think it's a whole different matter. Uh, uh, Sevilla has won on Wednesday. Uh, uh, Atleti has, be, has held off Sociedad in spite of Simeone's caution on, on Wednesday, and then we've got Real Madrid playing today on Thursday. So uh, I think anything can happen. I think Barcelona is probably out. Uh, and Sevilla is probably out, so it's uh, coming down to... And actually, Sevilla wouldn't be out if they hadn't given up that late goal, right, and mm-hmm. against Real Madrid. Yeah, they would be very much in the in the driver's seat in terms of uh, being there if uh, if uh, Atleti slipped up. So uh, watch Spain closely. Watch France closely, because I think uh, I think PSG might just be coming apart mentally, and, and they're getting silly red cards. There's uh, just a lot of chippiness. Maybe Pochettino got them back together this week. But I think they're collap- my sense is they're collapsing. It reminds me so much of the Spurs year when Leicester won the title, when Spurs were on their back and then just completely collapsed to the point where they even got beat by a relegated Newcastle team on the last day of the season, 4-0 or something, um, an already relegated Newcastle team. So I, uh, I, I think uh, France is on, but Lil might clinch it this week if they do their job against Saint-Étienne and PSG falter again. And then uh, keep an eye on Spain and enjoy your football. sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusion Supply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. 
Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.